All right, well, uh, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Coming to you from Detroit, and I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. If you are new to that phrase, that's uh, Bob and I run a Kubernetes Bytes podcast. So that's how we open every show. We figured we'll open it the same way. Bob, and what's going on today? What are we doing? Yeah, so we are here, like we have all of our previous, not all of our, but a few of our favorite uh, Kubernetes Bytes guests that have been on the podcast to discuss different topics. We thought, let's bring everyone together for database or data on Kubernetes to talk about databases on Kubernetes and why they are important. So that's this quick. That's what this quick panel is about. Uh, if you're looking for introductions, as Ryan said, Ryan and I run the Kubernetes Bytes podcast, but why don't we introduce ourselves quickly and then we can get to the questions. Patrick, you want to go first? Uh, we're going to go that order. Hi, I'm Patrick McFadden. Antagonist in the Kubernetes community and data. <laughs> uh, I work at DataStacks. I work in developer relations. I also work on the Cassandra project, which is why I have a cool T-shirt. <laughs> nice. Hi everyone, I'm Gabriele Bartolini, and uh, I'm from EDB, and I've been using Postgres for more than 20 years. Postgres is my passion with open source, and uh, here I am today talking about you know running Postgres and databases in Kubernetes. Awesome. And I'm um, Xin Yang. I work at uh, VMware at the Cloud Native Storage team. I'm also a co-chair in the uh, Kubernetes 6 storage. Great. Okay. So we, we do want to actually send a little poll to those in the room. Um, who here is actually running uh, databases on Kubernetes today? All right. So a good amount of hands. That's awesome. That, that helps us out a little bit. So what's our first question? Yeah, so I think, uh, I know a lot of people raise their hands, but uh, the, the basic question that we always get at our day jobs and for the community uh, participation that we do is, why run databases on Kubernetes in the first place? And I think that's the best place to start. Let's just get some opinions out of the way and then we can jump into other questions. So uh, we can decide on a, uh, an order, whoever wants to go first, uh, let's go. You can go that side and this way. This All right. Yeah, that works. Ching, you're up <laughs> Okay, uh, so I think uh, DevOps are already uh, running applications in Kubernetes. Uh, so they want to be able to manage their data layer the same way that they manage their applications using the same tools and uh, APIs. Uh, and also with uh, Kubernetes, you can easily deploy and scale your safe or workloads. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Or should I go on? Yeah, go ahead. I think, I think you know that my best answer is that it depends actually on the personas. So, for example, if you are a, a um, developer, uh, maybe and I'm, I'm talking about Postgres because that's in the database I know, and I don't think it's right that I talk about other databases. But anyway, <laughs> so if it's already difficult to talk about one. <laughs> So if you're a developer, you might be interested in, for example, the capabilities of databases like Postgres offered to you and you want to bring them in Kubernetes. Um, if you are a Kubernetes administrator, you might want to, you might be interested in declarative configuration, infrastructure as code and things like that. So you're looking for an operator uh, that can manage, help you manage databases in that way. But my favorite is from a kind of higher level is about, again, what, what uh, Jing was mentioning about DevOps. We call it DevOps, but it's uh, actually culture. So it's about the generative culture that I always say Ron Westrom 
if you look for that, is a very interesting model where you can break the barriers between developers and, for example, administrators and database administrators and put together databases with the applications inside Kubernetes. That's my favorite uh, view. So that, that's, that's a higher a reason for using databases in Kubernetes. Thank you, Gabriel. All right, if you're running a database outside of Kubernetes, then you cannot call yourself cloud native. <laughs> Don't. I will call you on it immediately. Because you're running your infrastructure in two different places. Might as well run a mainframe. Go ahead. They're still out there. Uh, but we're not going to do that, right? We're going to run everything the right way. And until we have a better orchestration framework, Kubernetes is the winner. And if you don't believe me, then why are you in Detroit? <laughs> um, this, is, this is the future that we are trying to build, we've always been trying to build, which is highly automated infrastructure that just does what we need to do. But we're getting to the point now where our infrastructure will conform to our application and not our application conforming to our infrastructure. And how do we get there? We need to be able to do things declaratively, bespoke. And right now, databases are not that. When you install a database, you know, you pray, you make, you know, you make promises, you create this edifice that everyone has to pray to, and you create these, these gods in among men, which are called DBAs. <laughs> <laughs> Those, that era is over. We need to stop doing this. All infrastructure is infrastructure. SREs need to be running the show, and we need to move on with our lives. Is that enough? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I, if I wanted to add a couple of things, right? Uh, things that are native to Kubernetes uh, can actually benefit your databases or data services that you're running on top. So like things like high availability, things like pod disruption budgets, things like uh, the ability to perform non-disruptive rolling upgrades. So those are some of like tactical benefits that you should be aware of uh, that definitely help modern databases and make it easier for you from a day zero and day two perspective. But yeah. I agree. I mean, I think to your point, Gabriel, you know, having sort of one place to run both your databases and your applications, people are wanting that experience. And maybe, you know, it's one of those things where uh, you have a single database and you don't think, you know, why should I put it on uh, Kubernetes? And maybe I think it's yeah. one of those things that that might be a new conversation to a lot of people. Um, and it's still early days, right? So, you know, a little bit lead into our next question, which is, you know, we've been in this community uh, for, you know, five, six years now. Databases on Kubernetes is, you know, a challenge uh, when it comes to our cloud-native architectures. So I think the next question is, where have we come in this technology? Speak to maybe a little bit about how you started in this Kubernetes and cloud-native space um, and where it's come since then and, and kind of where you see, you know, a lot of the, the advances in that time frame. We'll go in reverse yeah. order. You could just go, Patrick. <laughs> where, where, where? I'm always in the middle. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like you know, when you started working with data and databases and Kubernetes, you know, how did you get into that space, and and really what has transpired since then? Well, I it, it all because uh, I work on Cassandra, and no one installs one. You know, <laughs> it works together as a team, and um, I, I just have always worked in scale infrastructure. So I, I think from the earliest times that I've worked with infrastructure, we've automated as much as possible with Bash. <laughs> and then yeah. DevOps happened, and Kubernetes was the, the obvious next extension for me. What always bothered me was that every time we do something in DevOps, the database was never included. Mm -hmm. 
And I've always worked in data infrastructure and it's like that, that seems like a problem. And then in just working within the standard community, it was clear that people were trying and failing and, or trying and exceeding way more expectations. And those were the more interesting stories, but uh, you know, the, I think the origin is, it's like, I've always wanted something like this. And here we are, we have, we finally have a chance. We got this. Come on, people focus. <laughs> we could actually pull this off this time and not have to run an install script. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I'm totally with you. Uh, you know, I, to me, it was uh, the evolution of my, I call yeah, the DevOps. I don't like to use DevOps, but you know, you don't DevOps, have yeah, I know, but DevOps otherwise, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we, I can't, you know, communicate properly. But that was the evolution. So I remember, for example, I, I, I started to talk about DevOps with Postgres ten years ago, and with Vagrant at that time. So that that was always, you know, the 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 constant quest to improve. The, uh, at the time, we were talking about deployment, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So I, I was also one of the developers of a very famous failover management tool in, in Postgres called Rep Manager. Mm -hmm. But uh, what, I, what I really liked of Kubernetes is that Kubernetes at, is the single authority uh, between databases and applications. And that's why I say Postgres or database in Kubernetes, not on Kubernetes, the technology. Because if they are together, the same authority can control applications, routing, and, and databases, okay? So when I discovered Kubernetes, I saw that that was possible. And in my opinion, so far, that's the best experience you can get of a Postgres database in, in, uh, all, you know, in general, in, inside Kubernetes, because of this, you know? So and that, that also covers day two operations. So this is, that goes beyond deployment, okay? So yeah. anyway. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I mean, coming from sort of the world of that developer sort of experience or database experience with Vagrant um, and getting a lot of what Kubernetes Joker. gives you for free, yeah, um, uh, is a valid, I think, a really great reason. How about you, Shane? Yeah, so I will talk about that from the CSI point of view. Because um, uh, normally we know that the, uh, operators differ from each other a lot, um, but we typically see the operator use a, a workload API like stateful set, and stateful set uh, use uh, persistent volumes to store data, and that persistent volumes are provisioned using a CSI driver. Uh, so CSI uh, in Kubernetes has been GA since 1.13 release, so it's been quite a while now. Uh, so it has basic functions like create, delete volume, attach, detach, mount, unmount. It allows different uh, storage systems to provide storage to containers through common APIs. And uh, one uh, feature I want to mention is uh, CSI topology. Uh, that's GA in 1.17. Uh, that allows Kubernetes to do intelligent scheduling. Uh, so uh, it dynamically provision the person volumes at the best place where you can run your pod and allow you to uh, deploy and scale your uh, stable applications across different data domains and um, different failure domains. And then the other thing I want to mention is the, um, the, the raw block volume support that was uh, GA in uh, one point, uh, 
18, I think. So that allows a container to have direct access to your um, um, the Roblox device rather than through the file system, which is required by some databases that require uh, high performance and low latency. And uh, the third thing I want to mention is CSS snapshot that was GA in 1.20, and that's the basic building block to support data protection in Kubernetes. And also, um, we have a volume uh, cloning, volume expansion, and we have a CSI capacity tracking uh, that was a GA in 1.24 release, and that allows Kubernetes to look at capacity when scheduling the pods. Uh, and the last thing I want to mention is that it's a non-graceful no shutdown feature, which just went alpha in 1.24, that allows the uh, stable workloads to fail over successfully to another running node if you are, the original node is shut down and not detected by kubelet. So there are a lot has happened to make it easier for us to run stable for database workloads in Kubernetes. Yeah, I, th I think that evolution of like CSI describes sort of where this whole community has come of running data on Kubernetes too, right? Um, and local you know, persistent volumes as yeah. well. I mean, I mean that, yep. that was for us, but for <laughs> us it was a game changer. Yeah. You know? yeah, and even that last one you described of you know having the ability to fail over easily. Like I know if you've been running databases in Kubernetes, it's probably something you've hit at one point or another when using persistence. Is you know the thing fails, but it's just stuck, right? <laughs> and um, I think you know as we get you know further along, and we heard earlier from some of the talks that said you know we ran databases on Kubernetes and it wasn't the best experience, so I went elsewhere. I think you know the evolution of this community is getting better and better every every time. Yeah, and I think. Uh, it clearly shows, right? Even if you do a quick Google search for like why stateful apps or why databases and communities, you won't see the the debate that was happening earlier in the days by should you even run stateful apps or databases and communities. As you clear, like Jing clearly laid out the the evolution of how the CSI project worked, and it showed you how things have improved. So now it's not even a question like whether you should be running databases and communities or not. Like let's find a better way to do it, and let's find a way to just run it even in production. So uh, I think that leads to <laughs> leads me to the next question. Um, what are some of the best practices, lessons learned, things to do or things to avoid? And uh, when, when you're thinking about running databases on Kubernetes, and let's start with Gabriel this time. Like, I don't like this back and forth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the best you know, advice I can give is to start from day zero. Mm -hmm. Okay, because if, uh, for example, if you want to deploy um, database in an existing infrastructure that's been designed to run stateless applications. <laughs> that's no way. I found myself installing the, the database, a Postgres cluster, and the storage was going one megabyte per second sequential reads. There's no way you can run a database that way. Okay, So I think start from day zero. Plan for the database, so work with the, with the infrastructure team to, to do that. And then possibly uh, and that's one of the advantages of Kubernetes is that through uh, configuration, you can actually choose the topology. And at the moment, you know, still we are thinking in terms of a single Kubernetes cluster. So I think the next challenge is to have a better way to manage re resources across Kubernetes clusters. But way, otherwise, you can um, 
share, for example, your Postgres cluster with other workloads or dedicate nodes uh, to uh, for even bare metal machines that run uh, a single Postgres instance. And that's all done declarative. And I found that, you know, amazing. So. <laughs> a lot of flexibility. Patrick, Ching? Great. So I'll say uh, use uh, common Kubernetes APIs when possible, and also leverage uh, Kubernetes uh, declarative nature and uh, self-healing abilities. All right, little spoiler. Jeff and I just wrote a book. <laughs> it's a great book. Thanks for, for, why he's for sponsoring. Um, chapter 11, we talk about this a lot. There are three things. People, process, technology. People are the most important thing. You are not going to get there today with the people you had yesterday. Sorry. And it doesn't mean that you have to fire people. You just need to rethink the way you do infrastructure. And that is a big sea change. That will stop you from being what you want to be in a cloud-native world. And that's just, let's just have a little real talk here, right? Um, process, we've already talked about that. Technology. The thing that you, I think that most people need to understand is that the technology may look the same, it may quack like a duck, but it's definitely not a duck. And I'll give you a couple examples. Cloud-native technology now is converging towards object storage. I'm going to move away from you when I say oh. this. <laughs> Block storage is dying. It's going to die. Get over it. <laughs> Flink, Pulsar, Spark, the Cassandra project, we're working on this now, is going to use object storage as the main storage means. It's not going to be block storage. Block storage is hard. It's multifaceted. This is a way that we all have to go. Come on. <laughs> we're going to the future. Hang on. But I mean, when you think of like the three things that you need to tackle, always start with people, then process, then your technology. That's my advice. That's, yeah. yeah, and I'm just thinking about, we often hear talking to you know, people on the show or just in this industry is that not trying to boil the ocean, do too many things that you know, once I think, you know, if you try to just say, oh, we're gonna do databases on Kubernetes and throw all the databases we have and some new ones at the same time, it's not gonna work out, right? So starting with day zero, start with maybe a single database um, and grow with that experience along with your people and process along the way because it does take a lot of change, not just throwing Kubernetes at the problem, right? When do K8s it is another topic, I think, <laughs> that maybe we could tackle a different day. Um, so I think, you know, we still have a little bit of time and maybe our next question is, is more around um, where do people get started? You know, we're, we're a community here. I think we all share different experiences with, how we got into working with Kubernetes and now with data, where would you recommend people to go to get started? You know, it could be with your own experiences or just what you've seen in the community. You gotta call it out. Go ahead, Patrick. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, I mean, come on, we all know, what are you gonna do? You're gonna Google it, right? No. <laughs> I mean, really, this is a wonderful time to be alive when it comes to learning things. Um, you don't have to buy a book, although it would be nice if you did. Um, but YouTube is such a wonderful resource. And I'm going to call out DOK for putting a lot of great resources at your fingertips for free. But it's also understanding what you need to know. And sometimes that can be a lot more difficult. Check out the case studies. See what pe other people are doing. There's plenty of people talking about this. Learn from each other. Get on the, on the DOK Slack. Ask questions. 
How many of you would say no if somebody said, hey, can I talk about your implementation? Of course you want to talk about it because it's your baby and you want to talk about it, right? <laughs> so if you see something that catches your interest, go talk to the person who did it because they will tell you about all the bad things that happened. That's what you want to know. You don't want to know about the good things. You, you assume that something good happened. They'll learn about the bad things. And then your learning should go down the track that you're going on. You want to do streaming. You want to do analytics. You want to do databases. There's plenty of resources out there. And then finally, learn how to spin up your own Kubernetes cluster. And that is the hard way, but you will learn so much. <laughs> Should I go? Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, going back to the people factor that is, in my opinion, the most important aspect, <clears throat> especially when you think about DBAs. Okay, so a DBA that faces Kubernetes, I've got people saying, I was hoping to retire without having to study something new, you know, and restart again, okay. But I think my suggestion is to start with CKA. I think CKA, I don't, I don't believe in certifications, but I think the CKA, it's important the journey that gets you there. You know, you, you are forced to do a lot of exercises, practical exercises that help you build the muscle memory that then you find in a you know, daily job. You know, I was, I was a former football player, and you, you have to learn how to dribble, okay? Dribble is a fundamental, but it's not that when you play in a football game, you actually dribble because they chop your legs immediately, okay? But you need to <laughs> know how to do that, and you need that kind of muscle memory to work every day. So I think CKA is my advice because it helps you become familiar with Kubernetes, and then when you're there, I think you start seeing a completely different world. And then open source is, I owe everything to open source in the first place, okay? So open source is really, you know, what the source for, for you to learn new things and be curious, be creative, take initiative. That's all, uh, all I can give as, a, as an advice, you know? When we started, probably Patrick and I, <laughs> there was no internet, you know, when I started. And, <laughs> And we were happy. Exactly. <laughs> there were no phones. You know, I, had to, I remember, you know, I had to buy a C++, C++ book. It took two months to get to Italy, just to give you an idea. You know, now there's, there's a lot of information out there, and it's all for you and for us to learn. Right. So I'll just talk about it from like a six storage point of view. So yeah. there is a uh, community page for six storage. There are actually a lot of uh, video recordings from previous uh, uh, six storage sessions. Uh, so there are also a few one-on-one -on -one sessions that I think it's a good resource for you to go there and uh, take a look and get started. Okay, I'm really angry that none of them mentioned the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. Like, even though they have been guests, like, that's a good resource. It's, it's a community resource. You need a YouTube channel now. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but I, yeah. I didn't want to spoil you. <laughs> I didn't want to. That's good. No, I, I think, you know, communities like this DOK, communities within the CSI six stores, they are absolutely... Uh, not just joining them, but the people within them, right? Um, you're going to learn a lot from people who have kind of been in this space for a long time. So absolutely um, agree with all these points. Yeah, and that's how we met, right? Like, I know Gabriel and Patrick because of the DOK community. I know Jing because of the Six Storage community. So that's how you can create these connections and learn from people. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, cool. So we have before we'll, we'll open it up for some Q and A in a in a second about databases. But we do not only want to talk about databases. We have um, some more interesting questions for you guys uh, and gals. Uh, one, which I know I'm going to point at you first, uh, Gabriel, which is. Do you like Detroit style, New York style, or Chicago style pizza, or none of the above? Yeah, you can't. You cannot ask that question to an Italian. You know. <laughs> you know. What, so tell us about it. Tell us about it. Uh, I've lived in Australia, you know, and the, the worst I could see was, uh, you know, the, the pizza with with pineapple, mm. or Vegemite, <laughs> even Vegemite, you know. But, you know, that was the outrageous to me. No, just kidding, you know. I think everyone should eat the pizza they like. No. Go ahead. No, I want him to choose. I don't know Detroit. I don't know Chicago. Okay. Fair, <laughs> you need to fair. fix that. So now get you a good pizza this week. <laughs> okay. You take me yeah. to the pizza. New York all the way. New York. Mm -hmm. All right. Any preference? Well, I actually like the veggie pizza that I bought from Whole Foods. <laughs> oh, okay. nice. That's a valid point. So none of the above, Whole Foods. I like it. I like no, no, no. It. I, I have a thing. Okay. So I know there are three options. Uh, I went to a restaurant and there was something called a Boston pizza. And we are from Boston, right? That's and not a thing. Yeah, that's not a thing. But, but they're serving it as a Boston pizza. And uh, the topping that was on top of it was fried eggplant. I was like, ugh. Don't do this. But yeah, okay. Uh, New York pizza. I'm going to point out why this is hard to do a panel. I'm the only one who answered. Everyone else said, oh, I don't want I your answer. New York pizza. Uh, yeah. You got none three choices. I got 10 more. Yeah. None of the above was a valid answer. So. No, none. All right. All right. Here, here's one. I, where I picked you... Detroit. Yeah. Okay. In Detroit. Just to even it out. All right, here's one where you have uh, a little bit uh, more to answer, which is uh, what would you name your boat if you had one? Or maybe you do have one. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> and we can't say Kubernetes. Like, that's an easy answer. Yeah, yeah let's get that out. <laughs> Stumper. So I was thinking about this question. I know, like, I'll give some, them some time to think. We won't, we won't tell you that we sent the questions ahead of time. To that. <laughs> okay. uh, for me, uh, this is a stupid answer, but I would like to call my boat afloat. Afloat? Yeah, my All boat right. is always afloat. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I like it. It's always afloat. I'm going to go with Allura, and only because that was a really cool name of a ship in a book that I liked. Oh, yeah, nice. I was going to say, of course, I still love you, but that's already been used. Call <laughs> yeah. La Pinta. Okay. Of course you would. Mm -hmm. Are you from Genoa? <laughs> um, name is really hard. <laughs> I really can't come up with anything. Your name works as well, I guess. <laughs> yep. Maybe I'll come up, maybe I'll just call it like, uh, maple, with a lot of maple trees. Ooh. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Naming That's things good. is one of the three hard things in computer science. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's why we pay marketing teams so much money. <laughs> Depending. Okay, so um, I know we only have a little bit of time up here. Um, we wanted to cover, you know, why Kubernetes, um, where we've come as a community. I think we've come a really long way. And then, you know, hopefully the getting started was uh, a useful question for everybody. But we do have a little bit of time. Um, and I think we'll open it up to questions yep. that you may want to ask myself, Bobbin, or any of our panelists. Do we have a little bit of time, Bart? Yeah. Cool. Um, any questions? Any questions? Perfect. There we easy. go. Hi, this, uh, this question is from Mitch Yang. Um, so I'm fairly new to Kubernetes, only started using it February of this year. And um, as we're 
getting requests for um, new clients to, to start using um, the container platform, uh, one of the requests that's always part of their system requirements is storage, of course. And they're, they're always requesting um, consistent volume storage. Um, for me, my understanding was um, they don't, I don't have to provide that. They just declare that in their manifest. So it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be the answer. I mean, would the answer just be for me to tell them what the storage class is and then you reference it in their manifest and then define how much storage they want? Sure, and this was uh, directed towards Ching? Yes. <laughs> I actually that. So is, is the question basically, um, you have clients asking for consistent file storage. Do you have to provide them something specific, or do they actually configure the manifest in the YAML with their own storage? C correct, yes. Okay. Uh, I think that really depends on what they, what they need, right? So there are so many different storage systems. They're all very different. Um, I, I think you, you need, to, need to ask your client what they, what they really want, and then make a decision. I, really don't, I can't oh, really recommend what okay, let, one Let's just say they, they're telling me, I, I need a 100 gig um, persistent volume for, for, my, for my application to work. Um, since they're using Kubernetes, uh, normally I would just, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, um, I'm not going to provide, provide that for you, I'll, but I'll give you the storage class for you to reference in your manifest file. And then you declare... Yeah. Yep. 100 gig in your statement, in your, um, in your, in your parameters. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. That was it. So, for example, our operator for Postgres works that way. It's, it's storage agnostic. You can define the storage class. And actually, there's a talk. Uh, I'll, I'll be speaking on Thursday about this stuff with Chris Milstead from Ondat. Yeah. And I think, to Patrick's point before, it also, this goes back to the people in process, too, about how your teams are set up, you know, how, um, you know, are you giving that control to your teams that are, you know, defining their applications? Or do you want a team that's really looking at sort of uh, controlling that a little bit more, providing those storage classes with limitations and quotas and things like that? Um, I think thinking about how that process and those teams work definitely is a first step. Um, but, you know, the control is there to give them that option to define how much they need. Uh, I have a question on the performance of the storage. A little bit louder? Yeah. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Uh, as we are, uh, I work in a lot of uh, cloud migrations, moving uh, our customers to cloud, public clouds. So where we see um, usually when customers are moving to a cloud, they tend to prefer more on the instant store, mounting the NoSQL databases or uh, things. Any even relational databases for some customers. So uh, with the CSI, uh, there's a lot of uh, Kubernetes networking in uh, in the middle, right? So how do you see how uh, are there any new improvements uh, when you compare to the kind of model where uh, <clears throat> uh, on a VM instance stores are taking place? Uh, uh, instance stores are running the uh, databases. So when we compare that kind of model to Kubernetes uh, I.O., um, is it equally comparable? Mm. I think that depends if the storage is over the network or local. That's the same. It's the same. Yeah. That really depends on the database you're yeah. deploying. Like, yeah, when you deploy a Kate Sander de deployment, it's usually we use node local. So you're going to get, you know, the CSI is important at that point. So you're going to be at the storage that's local, you're not going to be doing network storage. 
Network storage is a bottleneck, so avoid it at all costs. <laughs> um, and thanks for keep making my point about what a hot freaking mess storage is. Um, thank you. <laughs> anyway, I think I we actually have with... someone from Six Storage here that can help. <laughs> <laughs> or storage vendors. Yeah, storage vendors. <laughs> so did I answer your question? But for example, in the past, I, I, we ran, before we started this journey, test on bare metal, and we were able to go as fast as on running uh, uh, FIO on bare metal inside Kubernetes. Okay. So with local disk, that's why we started three years ago to work on, on, on this, because the technology was mature back okay. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my and experience was like two years back, um, so it was... It's gotten no. better. Yeah, it's gotten much better. better. The work yeah. on CSI CSI drivers is, you know, getting making things better and better. Like, are there any benchmarks that you, when you compared uh, that you posted? I, 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 yeah, we yeah. we have, but I think you can make them yourself. It's pretty easy. You run <laughs> FIO and that's it. Yeah. FIO and IO stats. All right. okay. <laughs> you can chat with us afterwards too. I'm sure we can give you some more details. <laughs> that's the best way. Well, sure. Yeah. So. Uh, regarding databases and Kubernetes, I just want to make uh, a distinction between two use cases. There's a sure. use case where you can run databases on Kubernetes all day and no apps and just consume the database. And that's kind of, you know, we see that behavior that manifests in customers to consume Google Cloud SQL mm -hmm. or AWS RDS all day. And there's this other use case where you co-locate your app with database and try to, I somehow do not see the latter at all. You know, I see either the first one or uh, Cloud SQL, um, you know, Google Cloud SQL or R R RDS. So do you guys actually see that? Because there is, there is this tribal knowledge amongst, you know, call it database admins or cloud admins or infrastructure. They have this tribal knowledge where they, they had heard somebody that ran, tried to run databases on Kubernetes and failed. So they at least want to isolate of course. in a different cluster. It's like when they started to run databases in virtual machines. Everyone thought, oh, yeah. you can't run databases inside virtual machines. You know who said that? DBAs. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? who's wrong? DBAs. <laughs> Sorry if you're Remember my, my advice before? Forget the DBAs. Move on. <laughs> so you, you, are you aware of large-scale case studies where this is happening? Okay, sorry. Are you aware of any large-scale case studies where people have repatriated their databases from outside Kubernetes to inside? Yes. Okay. Yes. I wish I could have more stories to share, but you know, there's NDAs and things like that. But Sky UK, they have a case study online. They did that. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Woo!